It's Saturday, September 3rd, 2022, and welcome to The Mike Newman Show, where once again, we have an episode of Breakfast with Dr. Tim. This is where Dr. Tim Jurgensen and I meet up for breakfast at one of our favorite Austin area eateries, as we have done for many years, to shoot the breeze, usually on whatever topics come to mind. Today is no exception to that rule. We enjoyed our time and conversation, and we hope you do as well. So we can just stay on brand with our another random morning at, at the breakfast spot. Well, just totally random. <laughs> <laughs> Let us recount this morning ramp up. No, just kidding. But uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Two guys sitting over in the corner at a booth, um, setting up gear, eating breakfast. Hey, is that a podcast going on over there? And I, I, I swear, the, the, the network, the, the gossip engine, the discovery mechanism for this little podcast is literally through the wait staff. Yep. Well, <laughs> it's, I, I guess I've been surprised a little bit about how uh, particularly young, the younger members of the wait staff are well into podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm... I'm an old guy, and it took uh, it took you sending me a, a couple of links to uh, uh, pop, pop up on my web browser to be able to access the uh, the uh, episodes and listen to them and the like. And all of the waitstaff folks, you just say it's a podcast, and what's the name of it? And that's pretty much it. They, exactly. They know where to go from that. They know where to go, um, but I think unless they're getting pirated copies of this fantastic product um, showing up on iTunes, they probably won't find it unless they go through some of these links, which is, yeah. And, and then the fact they asked us, hey, could you print out like little, uh, I've got a QR code that, that takes them to the uh, podverse.fm page. And I think I'm gonna randomly mix up CurioCaster podcast. Anyway, there's a, there's a whole universe growing out there and to the, to the audience point, um, just a shout out to Adam Curry. Happy birthday, Adam. It's uh, 58 laps of the earth, and thank you for podcasting. But uh, they were talking yesterday on the 100th episode of um, Podcast Index about, um, you know, Adam was saying from the podcast movement, one of the things he took away was the need for applications, apps on phones and devices of different types for the different audiences. And he goes, what we need is the OMA app, you know, the the German grandmother app (laughs) that has big buttons, it it may not expose all of the functionality in your face, which is where a lot of, you know, when you're developing a new capability or technology, everybody wants to try everything all out at the same time. But, um, you know, the keep it simple, stupid principle in, in one regard. And the other is just um, he was fascinated by how many um, women, not in this episode, but in other, other discussions he's had, um, particularly women, enjoy just listening to podcasts in a web browser that, you know, for whatever reason, go to a web page, click on play, nice and simple. So... There's a whole variety of ways to consume podcasts these days, and uh, ours, however, you shouldn't find it on iTunes, you shouldn't find it on Spotify, we're just out in the Rebel Alliance hanging out on podcastindex.org, so anyway, that was the boring lead-up 
to, hey, what's on your mind today, Tim? Well, so the first thing that occurs to me is uh, your your description of the uh, generic app. You you mm. spoke of it as the OMA app. I, yeah, that was Adam's term. I kind of like it. Well, nice my, short my, name. My, my immediate characterization is that what we need is the Ungawa app. If you're old enough, uh, you listened or watched Tarzan movies. Oh, uh, yeah. From the 20s and 30s, the old Tarzan movies. And... Tarzan had this interesting ability that if he needed the elephants to get together and stampede through the village to get rid of the bad people in the village, he would run, pick up a cheetah, the chimpanzee, and he would say, Ungawa, cheetah, Ungawa, and cheetah would rush off and say something to the elephants and they would band together and they would ransack the village. If uh, Tarzan needed a knife to cut the bonds that were binding him at some point and Cheetah was around, he would say to Cheetah, Ungawa, Cheetah, Ungawa, and Cheetah would run off and find a knife and bring it back to him. And I always found it interesting that pretty much the only word uh, that he ever used, Tarzan ever used to get animals to things was Ungawa. And it carried a whole multitude of meetings, and so uh, I've always I've always uh, looked for the Ungawa application that uh, would be uh, we used to talk talk about Dwiss and Dwim modes oh, yeah. of operation. Do what I mean and do what I say. I had some football okay. coaches that. Um flip-flopped between those, yes. Reveled, reveled in those, yes. Yep. So uh, I, I always look for a, a do-what-I-mean uh, indicator as opposed to a, a do-what-I-say. Yeah, because I can never control what I say. It's, yeah. That's not what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and one of the... Everything that is old is new again, and everything new is, is old, kind of a, something we talked about last time. Um, so you got Ngawa... And now in uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have Groot, who's the big tree. And the only thing he says, I think I might be... I think the only thing I am is, Groot. I am Groot, yes. And the only person that can understand that is Rocket, the, the little raccoon guy. Right. And he, he understands every nuance, every, you know, the whole thing, and he communicates it to the rest of the, rest of the squad. So, right. yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, that's um, honestly, I think that's a lot of what podcasting 2.0 folks are as the as things are being developed in a lot of ways. Um, some of us really only have the skills. I'm speaking of myself to say Ungawa <laughs> and hope that it's uh, is understood. The right thing comes out. The right things happen. Exactly. So anyway, well, it, it leads to an interesting point, and I. I, I, I... I, I think it's interesting from a quasi-political standpoint, not, mm-hmm. not as a political statement, but it's something that, that uh, certainly has been brought to mind over uh, the last few whatevers, uh, which is the, the, and we've touched on it briefly here, the, the issue of language mm-hmm. and the part language Oh, yeah. Plays in our current discourse, and, and that's kind of a, a weird statement. But language obviously is the way that we have a discourse. But 
What has become interesting is the attack, and I characterize it as an attack, on mm -hmm. the foundations of language, redefining yeah, meaning, meaning, and, and which in, in turn redefines the metaphors. Uh, if you if you adhere to the idea that all language is metaphor, when you start to change the meaning, then you start to change the metaphors that are called to mind. Yeah, and. Uh, certainly, uh, we've we've seen a lot of that uh, uh, over the last uh, few years as uh, characteristic words that we've used uh, through the last several decades or the decades of my life that have been taken given new meaning. Exactly, and uh, it makes for a weird situation because it's it it, it, it it's co-opting a metaphorical understanding within the minds of people and trying to force that force a new mm -hmm. metaphor into mm -hmm. that. So it's a, it's a form uh, it's it's a form of indirect addressing where you're capturing the indirect address uh, of a, of a metaphorical understanding and you 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 create or you destroy the ability to communicate when you do that. And if you can, if you can capture the language and destroy the ability for your opposition to communicate, certainly to communicate effectively, then you, you, you have a leg up. Yeah. But it also, it brings the, brings the idea to the fore that essentially conversation is warfare. All conversation today is perceived to be warfare, and manipulation of the language is the battle space preparation. Yeah. In order to to co-opt uh, the, the, the 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 entire battle space. We here. heard so many for so many years, and I really don't hear anybody saying it anymore. Maybe for the last year and a half or so, when certain elements were so-called out of power they would say, well, we need to have a conversation. That needs to be a conversation. And yet there was no honest intent. I, I state that by um, just witnessing what the conversation ended up looking like. It, it's exactly as you expressed, is it was, a, it was a tool for warfare to redefine not just words. They, they, they do that rather deftly. Um, uh, for example, I can think of the CDC redefinition of uh, what a vaccine is, literally changing it on the website, and then other people just picking that up. Uh, well, it, 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 it's not supposed to you know, It's been that way ever since that word has been written, that, that that's what that means. <clears throat> but to the uh, conversation part of that, um, there aren't... There are, a conversation is not tolerated. It, it's a... It's a it's a projection of a objective, really is my opinion, is what we get when we're being told we're, we're in a conversation. Well, if you, can, if you can control language to the extent that when you say we need to have a conversation, but I'm going to redefine, if you will, all of the terms that you might use to express your side of the conversation, I'm going to define them away so that you no longer have literally an ability to express your side of a conversation. 
then what you're left with is not a conversation, but a, essentially a soliloquy mm -hmm. uh, on the part of, uh, of, of one party or, or one side, if, if you will. And we've seen words used as weapons, uh, just literally the word fascist is fascistic, fascist. Uh, uh, there, there's no uh, caring about the actual definition of that word. It is just like racist. It, it, it's, it's once it's spoken, it is intended to um, separate, vilify, other. So let's let's exa yeah. let's examine the, uh, the 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 progression through our two uh, educations, if you will, mm -hmm. which are probably twenty years apart or mm -hmm. so. So what 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 did you learn uh, first as the definition of fascist? What is a fascist? So what I understood fascism to be was where um, government has control of the, uh, they're in cahoots with um, private industry. It's one step shy, what my understanding was is one step shy of, it's, of communism, where it's total control of everything, but in, in a fascistic um, government industry relationship, there is a, uh, a reliant, there's a, um, a dependency between the two. And that is how you operate a country, is you have private industry effecting the will of the government, and the government making sure that uh, their agenda is, you know, it's, it's, it, it plays in together. That, that was my understanding. Is Okay, well, my understanding is, is sort of that way, but it, it, it's, it, it gives less emphasis to private industry. It, it, the, mm -hmm. the, way, the way I had learned, uh, or the definition I had learned for fascism is, is this a, uh, 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 an environment in which the state expresses its control through private business. So, so the the interface to the people, in many instances, is business, mm -hmm. but it's government behind the business that's calling the shots, and so the government expresses its will, and that will is manifested to the people through business, and uh, so that that was the, that was the definition of of, of uh, fascism. Not that the state owns business, but Agreed. that the state yeah. uh, expresses its will through business. When the government, would, when the government owns it, then that's that's socialism, communism. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so essentially, if the if the state owns the the means of production, if yeah. you will, then yeah. then that's that's communism or what I've known as communism. Yep. So, so that 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 matches the uh, at least we have a relatively similar uh, perspective on what fascism is. Uh, I, I find it difficult to understand in, in, in conversations that I hear today when people talk about uh, a, certain, a certain side of the issue or being fascist, uh, I, I sense something very different than, than that uh, as a definition. And I'm, I'm not, other than the fact that it's pejorative, 
Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not sure that uh, that I perceive a, 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 a true definition, new definition. That's of what, what it I is. was going to ask. Other than screaming fire and using racist or um, fascist in that, to me, it's a it's a it's a fire hose of don't listen to that person. Don't you know that there's that you know orange man bad bad you know just bad. There's, right. there's bad there. Right. Not that I am here to let you know that that person or that opinion is what we all formerly understood as being fascist. Right. It's, it's, it's just a button to push. Right. And that's why I was curious if you had come to an understanding of what that new definition or if, if even an effort had been made in that the people that are behaving that way, if they're even cognizant of any interest of making it def- a proper definition. Yeah, I, I, I don't sense a definition other than beyond, I think, what you just said, which is it's a, it's a way to characterize uh, a, a side of an issue or a, a speaker or a set of speakers that you should ignore. Mm-hmm. You, or you exactly. Should, you should certainly not trust. If, if someone is term to be a fascist, then you, you shouldn't listen to them. You shouldn't pay attention to what they say because... They... And I think it starts out as ignore, but then it turns into punish. Right. And, and we've seen evidence of that that is truly, according to the, the definition that we grew up with of fascism, and, and that, I mean, we've seen, you know, again, not to turn the show into a, a, let, let's talk about the uh, Joe Rogan interview with um, with um, What's his face? Um, Facebook, or the uh, the documents that have come out since then that clearly show that there was intent to censor um, a lot of things um, through social media that was not only um, encouraged by entities within the federal government, but was over time pursued. Right. So. Anyway, well, so the, 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 if you if you write uh, a lot, if you read a lot, write a lot, you you grow an appreciation for language, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure uh, other languages have have comparable or perhaps even superior characteristics to English. I'm more ingrained with with English myself, but I'm always I've always been impressed with. The the, ta- the 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 structural uh, characteristics of the English language, which allow you to express extremely nuanced thought uh, by by the addition of words, adjectives, and, and adverbs right. are extremely powerful in order to tailor the nuance of a more generic word, and so you can describe extremely nuanced. Uh, Characteristics or or concepts uh, by by adding adverbs and adjectives and by sentence structure and the like. And yet, uh, what we see a lot of today is attempts, or not just attempts, but actually redefining base words in the language. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, situations yeah. where it would be quite plausible to 
to make hyphenated words, to add adjectives or adverbs, and and provide the additional nuance to some of the base words. But the the uh, approach today very often is I, I redefine the base words themselves, mm-hmm. and that makes it very difficult to actually have a conversation because you're you're if you have a fluid if you have fluidity in the definition of the base words of, of a language it makes it very difficult for two different sides to talk and mean the same thing in their their discussions well I think I've made the point to you and maybe even in, in our conversation the other day I, I found it very interesting when the the head of the CDC, uh, announced uh, a week or two ago that the CDC response to the pandemic had been bad, uh, uh, bad or terrible or, or subsuch. And there's two ways to interpret that well, right that, away. That was exactly yeah. my point. Yeah. My, my point is <laughs> that 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 if you if you think that the nation is essentially equally divided uh, into two camps, you could hear that, mm-hmm. and both sides will be happy. Because one side will think, well, everything the CDC did in response to the pandemic was bad, and so we shouldn't do that again. Yeah, the, the, the they may side, have learned a lesson on... on the other on, side, yeah. the yeah. Other side yeah. looks at it and says, why, well, yes, everything that the CDC did to the pandemic was not effective and because they didn't do it enough. Yep. And so one side says, let's don't do that again, and the other side says, let's do it Harder. harder, faster and harder. Absolutely. Yep. yep. And um, we're seeing that play out with uh, green energy. And that is becoming worldwide policy to discard fossil fuels, discard, I would say, high density energy resources for, yeah, things that spin or don't catch fire, whatever. Um, and that's just some pain, Tim, we're going to have to go through uh, to reach some projected utopia, but I think it's actually a little more sinister than that. It's literally we just um, want control of your existence. Well, that, that's, that, that's certainly my, my interpretation. On, on the other hand, you don't, you don't have to go all the way to motive, if, if you will, to... To have the conversation, you need to you need to back off and 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 you know let let's start to insist that we have a conversation about the right things at the right time. Uh, and gr- green energy is is a good case in point. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk about green energy, if you're gonna talk about wind power and solar power, you should only be able to talk about them in terms of the actual reliable power that they bring to the grid. Exactly. And some of this so, we discussed earlier, right? You have systems around them to Well, if you have a, if you, if, you, if you say I've got a I've got a wind turbine that's a that's a that's a 500 or it's a, a half a megawatt uh, wind turbine. That that's fine. That says that if the wind's blowing at the right time and the, the, the turbine is working then it would generate that much power. On the other hand, if you if so, if you, mm-hmm. you, you say I have a I have a half megawatt, I don't know if that's the right term. Sure. I'd to say it is. Yeah. On the other hand, if you say how much effective reliable power does that wind turbine bring to the grid, it's not a half a megawatt. It's probably 
uh, a tenth of a megawatt. Mm -hmm. You know, it's maybe 10% of what that rated capacity is. Solar cells are the same way. If I've got a, if I've got a, if I've got a, 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 a 10 watt uh, solar cell, mm -hmm. the effective power that that brings to the grid, reliable power, is probably a half a watt. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so. For the, first of all, let's have, let's have the same units I, I, yeah, in, no, in the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and and if if uh, uh, if I can't if 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 when I if when I add uh, as it is the case today, mm -hmm. if I add a a half megawatt wind turbine, uh, I also have to add to the grid. I have to somewhere add a half megawatt of a gas natural gas-powered uh, uh, power generator uh, that will fill in the gap Catch it. If, yep. the, uh, if the wind's not blowing mm -hmm. or if the sun's not shining. Yep. And uh, so, so you, you have to have that, that conversation. The, the other conversation you have to have is, is a, a added into the conversation is energy density. Mm -hmm. If you're going <clears> to... <throat> Going to talk about uh, power generation uh, in the large. You have to be concerned with energy density, and amazingly enough, the the, the markets have have led us to where we're at today, which is it's really hard to beat the energy density of hydrocarbons. Exactly, and the only thing that effectively beats it is nuclear, nuclear power. Yeah, and so you're left with the the uh, the two most reliable means of power generation are uh, nuclear uh, first and uh, hydrocarbon-based uh, power generation second. And if you start the conversation by saying, well, for whatever reason, neither of those is, is acceptable, and the only thing that's acceptable is, is wind power and solar power, then you're dead in the water. You're, you're basically saying, I'm going to disassemble society mm -hmm. because those two uh, elements uh, cannot generate sufficient power for a modern society. Yeah. Yeah, I think the... I think you and I, through our education and just kind of the way we're made, we want to have those honest discussions that literally deal something you can put on a sheet of paper that mathematically has demand on one side, uh, you know. So you got con consumption, supply, means. You know, what what are the what are the tools that I have to generate the power in the right places at the right time for the people that need it? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the the discussion that we've been able to have for decades. And now all of a sudden, the demand is bad. The fact that people want energy is bad and this is where I say I, I'm we've gone past having those kinds of discussions because now we have a population that sits around and says oh uh, Colorado energy or whoever yeah I'll sign this little fun what I get a hundred bucks this month back on my on my power bill well that's great no, it's not this month it's this year well this oh yeah okay wow so this year I'm lucky to get nine point whatever dollars <clears throat> and oh by the way they can throttle me and they're going to throttle me if if anybody's thinking and they're not that's that's my point is is we have created a uh population 
that A is unable to say no and is unable to analyze the world that they live in. That, that seems to be the case, yes, that, 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 that's true. Uh, and we subsidize it. And, and so, and that takes me back to the power centers, the, 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 the people we call politicians now. Uh, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to a dark place, but um, I'm gonna start talking about space pretty soon because I think that's fun. That's <laughs> we a, had a little space topic earlier this week, but to wrap up on that, well, I, I, just, I, I, yeah. want to, I want to touch on one other point. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you want to talk, if, if you want to have conversations about profound issues, sure, yeah, climate change is a is an interesting case in point. Mm-hmm. If if you really want to have a discussion about climate change, the first thing that we need to have is a conversation about the world as it exists today. Mm-hmm not how it might exist a century from now, how it exists today. I would suggest that based on our experiences over my lifetime, the last seven decades, that the various types of natural disasters that occur around the world uh, and natural disasters that are are not going to be changing based on our concepts of climate change, based on those natural disasters, I would began my part of the conversation by saying no place on earth should people set up a permanent dwelling at less than 10 meters above sea mean level. sea level. Yeah. If you, if you live at less than 10 meters above sea level, you're asking for trouble. You're completely on your own. You're completely on your own. And, and I, I find it questionable that you should even provide assistance to people that, 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 that do that. But That's what that, I meant by that, completely that, on your own. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that'd probably be a little far because yeah. I, I, I well, believe... at some point you've got to draw the line and then find your way back instead of the right. other way around. But, but you, don't, you don't look at the uh, Fukushima... Uh, nuclear reactor mm-hmm. uh, situation or disasters from Japan and say we don't need nuclear power. It says that nobody should be living at less than 10 meters above mean sea level. Yeah. And if all of those reactors had been positioned appropriately above mean sea level, yeah. they would never have had the issue. If people lived appropriately uh, at, at greater than 10 meters above uh, uh, mean sea level, you wouldn't have had 400,000 people killed in the tsunamis in 2000 or 2004, whenever it was. Uh, if you if you lived uh, at uh, more than 10 meters above mean sea level, very you, the, the 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 amount of damage done by hurricanes, sure. whether it's a it's a category one or a category five. Would be would be far less. So that's just the world that exists today. Our mm-hmm. our 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 focus today, if we're interested in in dealing with climate, if you will, our focus today should be taking care of the fact that people live too close to the ocean, not that we're putting too much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Yeah. You know, if you if you're if you're worried about rising sea levels, you're you're talking about one inches per cent, one inch per century, or or, or a few centimeters per century. Mm-hmm. Well, if you if you live appropriately to to uh, survive in today's world, mm-hmm. that you you you've got you've got several centuries 
yeah. before that, before the changing of the climate is going to have an impact on you. So we've got to have the right conversations in the right order, from my perspective. Yeah. So that yeah. was that was my that was my other point that I wanted to get in. So no, that, that, let's go to space. Let's go to space. Well, we seem to have a little trouble getting to the, back to the moon. Um, so the Artemis rocket, I, I, I confess, you know, and, and this goes to the zero show prep um, scope of me. So, folks, this is you you just get what is in the depths of Tim's mind and whatever happens to skitter across like a cricket uh, the, in front of my mind. And I was surprised. So I'd, I'd heard of Artemis, the, uh, the, the rocket that is... I'll call it big rocketry, you know, as opposed to SpaceX, which I consider entrepreneurial rocketry. Mm-hmm. And that's just starting there. That's kind of the characterization that I've had in my mind is that Artemis is as to the Wright brothers as Langley at the time, before it was a Air Force base and a, and a NASA research center, is the government choosing how they're going to go to space as opposed to some guys from a with a bicycle shop that said you know birds tend to flex their wings and and that's what we're trying to mimic here so again painting with a broad brush how's big government space going that you can uh, determine well it, it, it's when when you put all of your eggs in one basket and uh, and the basket breaks, uh, or or you you can't complete weaving the basket weaving together. The, yeah. Then you're you're kind of in in sad shape. And and so yeah, this week was interesting. On the one hand, we saw the Artemis, uh, which is based on the uh, based on the Space Launch System, right? The, yes. The SLS. I think it's the SLS. Platform. Right. Right. So yeah. it's it's a, it's a big, huge, uh, non-reusable rocket. So it's it's of the it's of the the, the the frame of uh, Saturn V. Okay. Uh, the Saturn V, uh, based on the technology of the time, was was probably the best way to go. I, I, mm-hmm. I haven't thought about that in great detail, but a great big rocket that that, mm-hmm. that you could could go. Uh, if you if you look back on the fact that that the Apollo moon craft that landed on the moon had. Uh, something had, had, was based on a computer that wouldn't fit in a w- w- wouldn't do you any good in a calculator today. Exactly. Let, let alone a, yeah. a laptop computer. Then a big rocket uh, was probably the way to go because all of a lot of the or most of the advances that we've seen certainly out of SpaceX in the, the form of reusable rockets and all of that is. Tremendously based on uh, uh, very detailed control systems, advanced flight systems, yeah. advanced flight systems, and, and, and like. So, the Saturn V uh, mm-hmm. Apollo uh, uh, missions made, yep. made 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 great sense. Uh, the SLS system in today's world probably makes far less sense, uh, particularly given that you have. Uh, the uh, the Starship uh, system coming along from SpaceX, mm-hmm. which which is which is is not it it's 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 probably ready to fly uh, with with the first test systems, mm-hmm. but the first test system probably going to blow up. 
All right. But, yeah. so, so, but, but nonetheless, we're, we're about ready to fly it. Uh, the, the, the SLS uh, on which Artemis is based, uh, it probably has a lower probability, but not a zero probability that it's going to blow up the first time as well. And we blew up a lot of rockets in the 60s. I used to, in, 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 in the, the last three months of 1957, so, so the, the uh, October the 4th, 1957, the Russians lost their spa, launched their space to, uh, Sputnik. Sputnik. Yep. The U.S. immediately set about to uh, uh, launch a, a, an artificial satellite. Mm -hmm. And first up in the pecking order was the U.S. Navy. At the time, and the navies had a system called the Vanguard, mm -hmm. and the Vanguard was going to be the rocket that put the first missile up. And I watched during the the uh, uh, November and December of 1957. It seemed like once a week, maybe it was two or three times in that period. But the uh, the U.S. attempted to launch a satellite using Vanguard, which in general got to about 100 feet, blew up. And I watched a lot of vanguards blow up uh, on, on television at that time because I desperately wanted the U.S. to be able to put a satellite into to orbit. So just a quick segue on that. We have, oh, is it fair to assume that Vanguard was an operational capability of the Navy at the time? Or was it something that was sitting there kind of on the way and they said, okay, we're going to juice this thing and it should work. Somewhere, somewhere in between that. Okay. I, 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 I don't think it was quite that. I don't think it was quite that haphazard. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it was not a proven system, so it, it was a system under development. Okay, it was under development. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in, in retrospect, it, 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 quite frankly, wasn't that big a deal that mm -hmm. it blew up. Yeah. Uh, because it hadn't flown before, uh, uh, and 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 so it it made some sense that it blew up. But it, it was it was. But what was different was, was there was a race on now. Well, right, that what, was what beyond was, just the regular Cold War. What was what was different? It, it was always a little bit speculative at the time. I, I haven't actually haven't heard it speculated since then. But at the time, it was it was speculated that the U.S. really wanted to put up a, spat, a satellite with Americans in charge. Hmm. Okay. And uh, the point, as opposed the to point, the German engineers with well, the rockets? In or? particular, yes. Uh, yeah. Werner von Braun was yep. head of the Redstone Arsenal, which mm -hmm. was an army, army. system. Yep. And they had the Redstone rocket, mm -hmm. which was operational. And at any point in time, literally well before the Russians, at any point in time, it was that was a, a, an operational system which was capable of putting a satellite into orbit. It's just that nobody thought that it was important to put a satellite into exactly. orbit. Exactly. Yeah. Once the Russians did it, it was the Americans' turn, and the Navy was the most purely American uh, system. Mm -hmm. After they got a chance to blow up a few rockets, finally, uh, I, I, I remember it as finally, like in December. Somebody said, oh, okay, let the, let the Germans go ahead and do it, right? <laughs> which, which meant not that the Germans did it, but right. that, that the Redstone, Redstone Arsenal could do it. And so by the end of January, January 31st of 58, uh, tuned in my TV at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning, which was pretty cool because yeah. normally the TV didn't come on until 6. <laughs> this but takes us back to a whole other world where really the does. national anthem yep. was daily... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I still uh, remember, actually, that was, that, uh, I, I, I even misstated that. 
that was the night, the first time in my lifetime that TV stayed on all night. Wow. No test pattern. No test pattern. Most of, most of the night was uh, spent with, in the background was a redstone rocket with a little pipe on top of it, which mm-hmm. was the satellite, and spotlights on it mm-hmm. as they prepared it to launch. And they, they finally got it ready to launch and launched it at about 5 a.m. or something like that. We but live in I such a much, different world now. I, I sat up all night. My, uh, my, uh, my mom and dad uh, accepted the fact that I was a fanatic about uh, <laughs> the, the rocket program. And I got to set up all night, and they, they finally launched that. And, and it, it was a rocket in the sense that it ought to be a rocket. That is, you, 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 you have this thing sitting there, and about... I want to say a minute, it may have even been two or three minutes, the satellite on top of the rocket started to spin. Really? Oh, yes. So they, 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 it, it had these four whip antennas that drooped out from the sides of it. That and thing the, was, spinning it was spinning before it was launched. That's right. They, they, they spin it. it. It essentially was functioning as a gyroscope. Gyro, I was going to say. That, that it became part of the rocket. It, became it wasn't just a wasn't just a passenger. It was so you're you're sitting there watching it, and you know all of this. You, you start to see it spin, <laughs> and these whip antennas go out, and the, you know by the yeah. time it's by the time it's up to speed, there there was this blur, you blur. Know, of rings, if you will, wow. around it, and then they they, they launch it, and, and up uh, it went, and, and those went. things were flapping probably at that point. Uh, well, <laughs> never they, saw them after they, that. Never saw them, but. <laughs> But it, it's, it's once it was spinning once it mm-hmm. got into orbit, and once it got into orbit, it stayed spinning, right? Yeah. So that was the, yeah. that was the way it, it, it was stabilized, uh, positionally stabilized in orbit. Was that is cool? It was uh, it was spinning uh, at, a, at a fairly high rate of speed. But it it, it, it so I, I think we we we, we yeah. I, so we were I, going I went, to simple systems, down. and then we got the massive SLS platform that so, fuel so, this or fuel whatever this week and. Uh, I think maybe even was supposed to go today, Saturday. I'm not I, sure. It, 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 the last I'd heard, it was supposed to be. Then, I, then I think I heard that it uh, or read that it, it, it had been postponed uh, for, for for longer. But mm-hmm. it, it was an interesting juxtaposition. You had the the, the, the Artemis uh, uh, launch, which which I dearly was hoping would would go. And yeah, as a mission, it work. as a uh, mission, it it to me seems. I, Spot I want, on. I want it to work. I, I really, really do. Yeah. Uh, despite my skepticism of, of that program, I uh, really approach. would, would yeah. love for it to work. But it was in just juxtaposition uh, to, to read uh, on, uh, on the same page uh, that, that NASA had just given another $1.75 billion contract to SpaceX for additional missions to the space station. Uh, I wonder, because I'm always wondering things like this. SpaceX was supposed to have the first, um, was it, orbital launch of the Starship in July, something like that. No, oh, they actually what, what, actually what, wanted the the, the 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 original application. I think was to have it back in January. So uh, that would have had Starship going into orbit and then returning to base to Starbase. Well, what they're, what they're interesting, okay. you know, what they really intended to do, at, at least what I read, that the, the plan was what they really intended to do was to deliver to deliver a starship to Hawaii. 
and they were going to do that by essentially oh. shooting it in orbit around and landing it. In this is straight flight. out of some science fiction books that I've been reading. Is the shortest distance between two points is orbit? Right, right. That, that was and, exactly it. Yeah. Yes. So you're going to deliver some, um, maybe not bananas, but whatever. You're going to ship something for fun to Hawaii. Okay. And that would be a little too... All right, so now I'm putting my little conspiracy theory hat on. It's not a hat. It's, it's, just, it's just there. And I think it's borne out over time. All these environmental holds on Starbase operations. Right. Meanwhile, because we can't have any other heavy lifting capability up show um, NASA. Mm-hmm. So I'll just leave that there and... We'll see memos 40 years from now, probably, that said, oh, yeah, absolutely, sick the EPA on those guys. Well, and, there, and there's a, but, but, you know, there, there's got to be a dichotomy. On, on the, as I say, on the one hand, they cancel or they postpone the, the, the Artemis uh, shot. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they, 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 they're pragmatic. Yeah, throwing money to, in. Throw, yeah. Throwing money at, at, yeah, exactly. at SpaceX. And, and then a third juxtaposition, I, I did notice this week that uh, for the first time, they, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 BFR. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, we know what that means. We, we know what that means. It's a rocket at the end of it. That's right, <laughs> a big one. But but the, the, for the first time, they uh, they actually did a static uh, test firing of that that thing has 33 uh, engines in yeah. the base of it. And I think they did a static test firing of 11 of them or something like that. Did it slow the earth down when it, when not, it fired? Or? Not, no. not, not a lot, anyway. <laughs> it may have moved it in its orbit a little bit, you know, shoved it over a bit, but it didn't slow it down. Okay. All right. But it, at any rate, uh, so they're, they're making progress, uh, progress with that. And, uh, you know, I think that, that there's, there's probably a little bit of politics in play as to to who gets to do what when and, sure. and, and get accolades, but there there is obviously a significant amount of uh, pragmatic assessment going on, and uh, and so we'll we'll see. So I've been following another <clears throat> rocket company, uh, space um, uh, endeavor, if you will, uh, a little more local to us, uh, a company called Firefly. I don't know if you've followed Firefly much at all. I have, I have not. No. They are uh, so they are. Their, uh, the, the Firefly name is, is I, I believe, um, probably quite provably uh, linked to a television series that lasted basically less than one season. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the engines are named after a certain component of the story. Anyway, um, they're out at Vanguard right now with their second attempt to get into orbit uh, with... At Vandenberg. At Vandenberg. Okay, you said Vanguard. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I meant, sorry. Thank you. Thanks for catching that. Well, uh, at Vandenberg. Just making sure that it wasn't a new place <laughs> no. I didn't know about. <laughs> no, Vanguard. Uh, and it was funny. Uh, my wife and I were up to one of our favorite little uh, Mexican restaurants. We, we tend to look for those. And some guy comes walking in with a Firefly T-shirt, and he's grabbing uh, a bunch of food to go. And I see a badge hanging on his, uh, on his, his shorts there, and I said... As he's heading out, minding his own business, I said, do you work at Firefly? He goes, who said that? He's looking around. <laughs> I say, uh, uh, yeah, when's, uh, when's the second launch? Uh, when's the second attempt? And he goes, right now, we're scheduled for September 11th, and it all looks good. So I'm like, 
I want those guys to be successful. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they're coming at it from a small to medium size um, payload capability. But they also made another announcement, and I'll, I'll see if I can find it put in the show notes and we can all get a little smarter about um, Firefly. But they do rocket tests. They've got their um, test platform right off 183 North up in Briggs. That's the address. And, you know, <laughs> kind of like what you're saying, if, if I knew when they were going to test a rocket, I would just drive up there, park on the side of the road, and listen watch, to some watch, rocket noise. Watch that sucker. <laughs> watch that sucker just go. It's Reaver. So the name of the engine is the Reaver engines. And um, Firefly almost went out of business. They uh, basically got resurrected. I think into this kind of uh, landscape or cornucopia of rocket and space capabilities, I think there was another announcement that um, <clears throat> some portion of Firefly's capabilities are being bolted into this SLS and into the actual lander that um, that would that it would eventually find its way to the moon. So, anyway, I mean, I mean as a kid. You saw it. You you actually you were up all night waiting for the for the Redstone rocket to go off. I would have watched that stuff in old reels or compilations, YouTube videos, or uh, theatrical representations of it. You know, like the good the the right stuff. You know that 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 was probably my first watching the re the right stuff movie back in the in the 80s. Um, was my first real comprehensive visual presentation of what might have been going on back then and it's been a pretty dry lifetime for me personally being born in 69 that um all we've done is i say all we've done we've driven a bus around we've lost the aspiration mm -hmm. and to me a lot of what this goes into everything we've talked about today um even before we started recording to me, it's about psychology. It's about aspiration, motivation. Where are we setting our sights and expectations? And to me, out into space, things like that, that can inspire a generation, at least a generation of nerds. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, I'm just excited by that. I'm, I'm excited for whatever reason, whatever the motivations are to get to the moon or to just say, forget the moon, let's go to Mars. Uh, again, I, I'm a broken record. Bring it on. I, 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 I agree. Uh, and, and you touched, <laughs> we, we, we've really gone that. We're never going to end this episode, well, are we? But we, it's okay. <laughs> we've really gone down a bunny trail because once, once, you, once you start to, uh, to, uh, to touch on motivation, uh, I, I I have to uh, to put a plug in for my uh, for my favorite uh, psychologist, if that's even the way he would characterize himself, was uh, is uh, Abraham Maslow, ah. and uh, his his book uh, toward a psychology of being, which is the first place that uh, anyone uh, that I'm aware of, or, or, or the best uh, identification, if you will, of uh, uh, from my perspective of human motivation, what, what motivates us to do the things that we do, and Maslow came up with this idea of a hierarchy mm -hmm. of needs, right. and that we are driven by uh, our needs, and uh, 
you, you, we, we have this hierarchy of, of, uh, of, of needs which serve as our motivation for doing things. And at the basic level, uh, that's that, uh, he starts out defining a, a four-level hierarchy, which then expands out actually into an eight-level hierarchy, uh, in which at the base you have uh, physiological needs, air and water and the like, mm -hmm. and we're motivated by that. And and and, and if you if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you were prevented from breathing, you can uh, guarantee that. That uh, everything else becomes secondary. Everything else becomes secondary to getting your head above water or whatever it takes to be able to breathe again. Uh, but you, so you have physiological needs, then you have security needs. Mm -hmm. uh, so you 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 you, you want to be able to. There are not only are there things that go bump in the night, but there are things out there in the dark that are really bad for you. So mm -hmm. you you, you want to be secure against that. And you work your way up. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, and at the pinnacle, well, what's what's at the top? Well, in the original characterization, what's at the top, which is a, was a four-level hierarchy, uh, at the top was self-actualization. Okay. Okay, and, and, and this is, Maslow originally characterized it that only a very small portion or a fraction of people are self-actualized. And if you will, the, the, I think the way he characterized it, the way I always understood it, is, mm -hmm. is these were the people that were individually innovative. There are, mm -hmm. These are the people that are individually innovative. These are the people that think up things to do. Right. And uh, everyone does this to a certain extent, but it's... it's these guys can Henry Ford. It's Henry yeah. Ford, right? Or, or it's Alexander the Great, or it's it's Martin Luther King. If if I want to expand mm -hmm. it out, you know, yeah. th these are people that they look at the world and and um, as uh, I think John Kennedy said it, or, or he quoted someone else say, you know, or maybe it was Robert well, Robert Kennedy said it as well. Uh, um, uh, I, 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 others look at the world and say why. I look at the world and say why not. Right. And and uh, so there, the, the 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 idea of self actualization is that this this is the source of, of impetus to do mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. In in his third, I think it's the third volume, or third edition of Tortoise Psychology of Being. Uh, uh, Maslow actually expands or subdivides that area of, okay. of self-actualization into uh, uh, aesthetic, uh, cognitive aesthetic, or maybe it's three, it was cognitive aesthetic and transcendent. Okay. Uh, well, well, actually, leaves and he leaves self-actualization as as the, as the basis of that. So like the groups. So then, <coughs> within that are some layers. Yeah, right. Or, so there okay. there are like four layers in it. But at the okay. very top, then is is the uh, the uh, the concept of transcend transcendence. Mm -hmm. In essence, we are motivated by uh, our attempt to impact things that are beyond us. Up up to there, we're 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 largely motivated by things that impact us directly right so is that like altruism is, is that Altru where you reach altru altruism at that point that's correct altru okay. at least that's my interpretation okay. of it altruism altruism would be uh, something that is uh, uh, transcendent okay uh, or it, it, it meets a, a need of transcendence is it spiritual is it is it 
all of the above. All of the above. So all it's all that. Yeah. Okay. So, so mind, body, soul. Mind, body, soul. So anyway, when when we talk okay. about when we talk about motivation, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, I, I find that uh, that uh, uh, Maslow's hierarchy is is an extremely good. It gives you a, a good framework in which to, or through which to think about motivation and why we're doing things. Which came first, the TCP/IP stack or Maslow's hierarchy? Maslow's hierarchy came first. Okay. Uh, it, 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 I, it, I, just, it, I had to throw that out there because yeah, we, 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 ma- you've made these parallels, and I've followed along over the years. I'm like, okay, yeah, all yeah. right. No, it, it, it makes it uh, uh, Maslow's hierarchy probably predates the TCP/IP stack by. 30 years, something okay. like that. All right. So, 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 so. cool. So, but yeah, if you, if you, if you, I'm, I am not a psychologist. I, I don't claim to <laughs> don't be. Don't play one. one on TV, but. I don't play one on TV. On the other hand. But I'm going to say you've read a lot. If I were, if I were, re- if yeah. I were going to, if I were going to think about psychology, one of the first things I would do is go pick up toward a psychology of being and read it. And uh, mm-hmm. and I, I, it, I read an interesting paper uh, you know, sometime years back that, that, interestingly enough, no no one had actually done a an empirical verification of the hierarchy of needs that Maslow had stated. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, everybody just figured that was about right. You know mm. that, that. Oh, that makes sense. You know, but uh, I don't. I don't know that anyone has actually gone out and done a a, a, a statistical study uh, uh, to 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 prove that that's right. That we really think that way, or that we're motivated that way. But it 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 fits so well. At least for me, it fits so well in the way that I I look at doing things, uh, look at things that need to be done. It's good to have a framework in which we self-evaluate and then also I think it leads to um, empathy if we're able to be able to at least have, whether we agree with that structure as being the end-all be-all of, of how humans aspire, survive, grow, or not, or the, or the opposite. If they get stuck at a certain level and they just can't see a certain, beyond certain things, if we, if we take into account that there is something there that could help us at least see, okay, yeah, that, 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 that response might have come out of, you know, and it's a, it's a supposition, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, baseless other than observation perhaps like you said you know nobody's gone out and that you've seen make a a a full study analysis on each of these these levels but it does give you a i'm taking it toward an empathetic way of okay you know uh, bless his heart you know kind of approach or not his part but you know in general I, I, if you if you if you read a lot of, of papers, right, peer peer reviewed papers mm-hmm. in, the, in in the literature, uh, you start to after reading papers that that express uh, profound results, you start to think about reproducibility. Mm-hmm. And an, an interesting thing is that in the fields of psychology and sociology. Uh, Something in the range of 40 to 60 percent of papers have thus far proven to be non-reproducible. 
Interesting. You do. People have done a study, and they make an, a pronouncement mm -hmm. that uh, that this profound effect was was measured, and they try to duplicate the study, and it doesn't work. And I, I ran. There was being a physicist, it was kind of an interesting, if not funny, uh, paper uh, or, or uh, article that I read a week or so ago. Uh, that I guess it was back in the well. There's a paper that was announced uh, uh, some months ago that that uh, ignition had been achieved in a fusion reactor. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, those, so, those seem to come out every five or ten years. Right? Well, no, no, not oh. not that the ignition has been achieved. That was the first time that it was announced. Okay. I, ignition says that you induce a fusion reaction that is sustainable. Okay. Okay, that, that, it, 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 that is, it gives off enough energy to create itself. Okay, so okay. To, to create, okay, so that's, that's what's meant by ignition. Okay. Up, up, up to then, you, you, put, you put 10x energy into this and you get 8x energy out of it, okay. right? So you can, you can cause fusion to occur, but you're expending energy to cause the fusion, but the, the, the amount of energy coming from the fusion is less right. than you put it in the first it, place. It's upside down. Yeah. Ignition, ignition says that, that uh, you get at least as much energy out as you put in. And so okay. it was a great announcement that ignition had been achieved. And then, as I say, I saw a paper uh, a week or two ago that hmm, they hadn't been able to duplicate that. The same group. The same group. Okay. Yeah, using yeah. the same equipment, uh, they they had. Uh, they, they they were not able to. Uh, to Sounds to like my efforts trying to spin up an ice cast server. Yeah. Oh wait, I thought I did everything. <laughs> that doesn't work. It yep. Seemed to work the last time, but <laughs> or, mm, mm. it was described much easier than this. So. Well, I. I, yeah. I, I, I if, when you work in theoretical things and, and, and or empirical things at, at the cutting edge of something, you, I, I, one of my great fears has always been that that I would come across something that was really profound and I wouldn't know where it came from. You know, I didn't didn't understand it and didn't know how to duplicate it. But uh, it was it was great for the for the time that for it the existed. time that it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've got a I've got a non-reproducible thing at work right now and it's driving me crazy mm. and and the degrees of freedom aren't that large <laughs> it's like oh this worked last month yep and i can't get it to go again so yeah anyway well we've gone for uh, a little bit longer than we usually do but um it was it was great and, and god help anyone that's listening <laughs> well we do this. appreciate you all listening and and i will a quick shout out to uh Martin in Sweden. He goes by Lyceum, I think is his uh, handle out there on, on the socials. Um, yeah, our first feedback to the show, Tim, we actually got an email. Sure. And I'm going to hit another little bit of coffee here One at the end. One more cup of coffee. One more cup of coffee. I have no business doing that, but she was kind enough to offer it. So anyway, uh, it's we, been fun. we it's saw some streaming sats and all kinds of neat things. So... Who knows? We might we might put a little more thought into it next time. We might. Don't hold your breath, folks. Yeah. Well, well until then, catch you later. Enjoy it. Bye. And that brings to a close episode 12 of the Mike Newman Show. Well, not quite the end because I'm still talking, but at least the part that is recorded live as it happened in a booth at the diner. It's always an interesting experience. Today, for example, before we hit record, 
Some fellow diners adjacent to our booth took an interest in what those guys are doing over there. Is that a podcast? A good conversation followed along the lines of what you can read on the About page of this show's website, found at MikeNewman.show, which I should probably spell that out, M-I-K-E-N-E-U-M-A-N-N.show, and click the About label in the, up, in the top right-hand corner of, of the website or of the web page. That'll take you to a little bit of the motivation for this show and um, just basically what we hope to accomplish as a minimum. We'll see where it goes. And then after we finished recording, a young man stopped by to ask a bit about the show and how he could listen. Turns out, as I recall, that he has some musical aspirations or interests. Uh, where to start? Because really, a lot of what we're doing in what I'll talk about here shortly, Podcasting 2.0, is really setting up the world for a revolution in how music is distributed, shared, and valued. Uh, so, for example, with, uh, for example, uh, podcasting itself, the best place to go to find, listen to, and actually experience modern podcasting, otherwise known as the new era of podcasting, is to visit the website newpodcastapps.com where you'll find the future of podcast apps available to use today. Apps such as CurioCaster, Podverse, Fountain, Breeze, probably should spell that one too, B-R-E-E-Z, and Castomatic, just to name a few. What is special about these apps? Well, they all implement features of the Podcasting 2.0 feature set, including transcripts, chapters, trailers, sound bites, cross-app comments, value, funding, and several more that are in the works. Suffice it to say, this is the future of podcasting for listeners, podcasters, and media hosting companies. All available right now. So, back to the show. Please drop me a line or two of feedback to mike at mikenewman.show. Leave a comment over at comments.mikenewman.show. That's actually a Mastodon server. And if you have an account anywhere on the Fediverse, you can follow the links over there that are um, up on the website and also in these uh, podcasting apps that I just described. They will have a click through so you can see what other folks may have commented on the episode and the show. And of course, related to that, check out the episode show notes over at mikenewman.show. And about some value. If you found this or any other episode of value, please reciprocate with either some U.S. dollars while we still have them, through the dollar sign button at the bottom of the episode as it plays on Castomatic, for example, that will take you to my PayPal page, or set yourself up with a wallet through an app such as Breeze, which allows you to turn some U.S. dollars into Satoshis, which are just fractional Bitcoin. Basically, Bitcoin that you can spread around in small amounts and just share happiness in general. And then stream sats. So as you listen to the show, you can kind of trickle some Satoshis over to the show and uh, just show that you're listening. Share that value back through, through some Satoshis just as you listen. You can do that through Breeze or another app that supports the Lightning Payments Network. I know, it's a lot. And believe me, I never spoke any of these words altogether before embarking on this podcasting 2.0 adventure. To me, it's worth it. And I think we'll find in the long run... As these things develop, and as you explore the world of podcasting through the lens of modern podcasting apps, you'll begin to see the potential and value as well. So in summary, hey, Tim and I really do enjoy our mornings at the diner, and we look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, next time, stay awake, 
Not woke, my friends. John 317.